Well, this morning we are going to start a series. I don't know how long, I don't know exactly how long it'll last, because I only have one sermon done in the series, okay? But I'm started, I sort of know where I'm going, and God will let me know when I get there. And uh, and so we're going to start a new series, and I'm just calling it Crisis, uh, Religion or Relationship. I grew up for the most part, in the church. I, I, I don't remember not ever going to church, okay? I just, I remember, my first memories are in the church. We, I shared with you a, a few weeks ago, my brother and I have been going through my mom and dad's stuff, and I found a picture of, a, of a, a, probably the first Christmas play I was in. And, uh, uh, and I was a little bitty guy. And, and I just, all my memories are around church, but the thing is, is that for most of my life, church was about religion. It was about what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do instead of about relationship. And when I discovered that God's not interested in religion, He's interested in relationship, it, it set me free. I mean, it just, I, I can't explain to you what it did. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a rebel. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I don't like the status quo. I don't like the flow. I don't like going the same direction everybody else is going. And I, some of that, for a long time, I thought was just me, that I was a rebel. But I think part of it is just, it's just the way God made me, okay? And God made you. He made all of us different because He likes difference, okay? He, he, when, he, when He picks a bouquet of flowers, it's not all roses, Okay? It's all different kinds of flowers. And God is, God is, is, is multidimensional. He's multifaceted. And that's one of the reasons He created us. And one of the things that has happened is the relationship that He, he wants so much with us throughout the centuries has turned into religion. And I'm going to define all of that a little bit this morning. I don't know that I'm going to do it all this morning, but, but we're just going to get started this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I went on a hunting trip out to Kansas, and I, I went pheasant hunting. And, and you walk all day long. I mean, it's just by the end of the day, by 5 o'clock, you're whipped, and I'd go to my room and take a shower and lay in the bed and turn the TV on. And I was, I was watching uh, a TV uh, show. It's called American Pickers. Any of y'all familiar with American Pickers? Okay. It, it kind of chronicles the adventures of, of two antique and collectible dealers. They call themselves Pickers. Okay. They're buyers. They travel across America looking for unique uh, collections and unique pieces that they can buy and sell then to their customers. And, and, and their names are Mike Wolf and, and Frank Fritz. And they, and they, they go all over the the country. They ride around in a in a big white van and 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 they they call people, they call on people, they visit people who collect and who hoard. I mean, some of these people are hoarders, let's just be honest. They're not they're not really collectors, they're hoarders. They've taken that step over. Or who have inherited overwhelming collections of 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 what they would call treasure and for what many people would call junk, okay? But listen, one man's junk is another man's treasure, all right? 
and and I was watching it, and and I love it. They explore homes. They they get up in the attic and look. They crawl through barns. They 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 go to outbuildings. They they go through warehouses and and any other place that people have have stored their collections. And and I was watching the show. Uh, that that night as as Mike and and Frank were climbing through an an outbuilding I I would call it a shed okay I mean for those of you that grew up in Alabama you'll know exactly what a shed is okay it's it's not a barn it's a shed okay and they were crawling through this this old couple shed now these folks had sheds all over the place they had stuff everywhere they had collected and collected and collected and they're digging through stuff and and all of a sudden they come across in their, as they're digging in this shed on the back wall, they come across an extremely rare automobile. It's a 1935 Auburn Phaeton convertible. Now, it didn't look like, it did sort of look like this, but it wasn't shiny and bright, okay? It was black, and it had leather seats. And, and this is what one would look like restored. But this, this car was parked in the, in the back of the shed, and there was tons of stuff behind it and around it and on top of it. And they dug down and they found this old car. This gentleman, this old gentleman that lived in the house or lived on the property, he had gotten this car from his uncle who bought it new. And he had driven it into this barn. And over time, he just covered it up. He knew it was there. Okay, he he knew it was there, and 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 the the car it had its original paint, it had its original leather seats. Everything was original. It's it's just covered with dust. Okay, covered with dust. And it's you know you hear people talk about the barn find, the treasure. Everybody's looking for the treasure that's hidden in the barn. Well, they found the barn find, or they thought they did. Because it had been hidden in that barn for almost 70 years. He drove it in there. He never drove it back out. Now, if you've ever watched the show, you'll understand what I'm about to say. Mike and Frank were slobbering. They were foaming at the mouth. I mean, they, they realized they have hit the mother load. Okay? And, and so they asked the, the old man what he was willing to take for the car. Now, here's the thing about these two guys that I like. They are out to make a dollar, but they're not willing to rob somebody. In other words, when somebody offers them way too little, they say something. I mean, they're, they're, they're fair. And so th- this gentleman didn't ask way too little, okay? He, he, he replied that he thought it was worth about $80,000. Now, before you laugh, you see, he, he'd gone online, and he'd done a little checking, and he had seen 1935 Auburn Phaeton convertible, when it was restored, it was worth eighty to $110,000. And so he'd kind of been counting on this car to be his nest egg for he and his wife as they got older. It was going to be a part of, of, of their retirement when their retirement sort of gave out. And so really it was just his investment. That was the bank where his, where his investment was. And so, you know, Frank and... Mike kind of stepped back there, you know, they're like this. And, and, they, and they realize the car is worth a lot of money. But they just don't know a lot about the car. And so they get on the phone. They make a call to a friend of theirs who's an expert in vintage cars. And the expert, he asks some questions. They send him some pictures. 
And then he asks a question. He says, tell me what size engine it has in it. And so they dig around and they figure it out. They send the guy the, the size of the engine. And the old man had missed a, 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 a sort of a small detail. And that was the size of engine. The size of the engine made the car worth more or worth, worth less. In his mind, it was an $80,000 car. But in reality, the engine was a smaller engine. And they had made more of those with the smaller engine. It was still worth twenty dollars to $30,000, okay? But it wasn't worth the $80,000 that he thought it was. And all of a sudden, there was a crisis sort of in his life. He, he, he thought it was worth more. It was a detail. You know, details are important. The cars looked alike. I mean, it, it, the, the, the difference between a 30000 and a 110000 you you can't see it. I mean, they look alike. It's under the hood. He just neglected to get the size of the engine. And all of a sudden, there's a crisis in his life. And, and that word crisis kind of implies impending disaster. It, 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 it implies catastrophe. It implies emergency. That word crisis, crisis sort of precisely describes most believers in most churches today, which in turn, describes most churches. Most churches are in crisis. Most believers are in crisis. And it may describe you this morning. You may be in crisis unless something changes in your life. And here's the reality. It will describe this church in a few weeks, a few months, or a few years unless we make the right choices. Crisis usually happens because of choices. What I'm talking about, the crisis I'm talking about, has rendered most Christians and most churches impotent. They don't have the power to do what God has called us to do. When you may be sitting there this morning, you may go, Pastor, what's wrong? What's the crisis? Is it a sin issue? Is it a, a biblical issue? Is it a doctrinal issue? Is it a financial issue? Is it a congregational issue? Is it, is it an issue that concerns belief? What is it? Well, the crisis is a connection issue. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. It's a connection issue. I want to ask you how many of you know what this is, but this is a fan, okay? I won't put anybody on the spot this morning. This is a fan, all right? I, don't, I know how it works, but I'm not sure how that works. But basically, this fan's purpose is to move air. The blades are constructed. The engine is, is geared in a certain way so that it'll pull air through it and blow air. It's, it's made to cool things off, right? Now, if we had 50,000 of these in here this morning, and it was the middle of August... And they were sitting around the room. In fact, they were stacked on top of each other. And they weren't connected. We'd all suffocate, right? You know, you can put one of these on your coffee table. And you can, you can paint it pink or blue. And you can put ribbon on it. You can sprinkle glitter on it. You can do whatever you want with it. But it won't cool you off unless it's connected. Right? I mean, this one's doing absolutely no good up here. Not moving any air because it's not connected. 
It's not properly plugged in. Unless it's connected to the power source, it does not do what it was designed to do. And here's the reality. If it's not properly connected, it it can't be turned on. And if it's not turned on, the fan can't accomplish its purpose. Now, I'm not going to do this this morning, but there's a plug right over here. If you plug this into a 110-volt outlet, 120 volts, it'll do like it's supposed to. If you plug it into a 221, it'll spin itself and burn up. If you put it into a low-voltage plug... It'll burn itself up. It's made to plug in to 120 volts. That's what it was created for. If I make the wrong choice with it, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And a crisis usually is the result of a wrong choice. And the body of Christ, I believe today, is in crisis. You may be in crisis this morning, and you may not even realize it, due to how you choose to connect with Christ. See, there, there are some tiny details that sometimes we look, we, we, we look over, just like the gentleman who had the car in his garage. He, he looked over one detail, and it dropped the value of his car from fifty dollars to $70,000. And folks, if we're not connected to Jesus Christ properly, It means the difference in our life. It means everything. It means whether or not we are fulfilled or happy or joyous. And, and, and here's the reality. Most Christians are not turned on. Okay? Their, their, their blades are not moving. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not turned on. Your blades are not moving. And what you think you are, you're not. And the proof of that is, is in your life. It's in your attitude. It's not in your actions. It's not what everyone sees. It's who you are deep down inside. The way you feel. What you truly believe. How you, you live and how you act toward others. Some of you this morning are disappointed. Some of you are, are discouraged. Some of you are just angry. You're mad. Some of you are frustrated. Some of you, are, you feel hurt. You've been wounded. Some of you are just cold. You're uncommitted, some of you are unconnected, and you're disconnected, and you're unforgiving, and you're just kind of going through the motions. You're judging your own spiritual level based on the failures of everybody else around you. You know what? That problem's not with God. It's, what, it's not what God did or He didn't do. It's not that person who, who hurt you or who, who ignored you or who stepped on your feelings or, or did something you disagree with. It's not the church. The problem is it's a choice of how we connect. You may be plugged into the wrong outlet. Now listen to me. I'm not questioning whether or not you're a believer this morning. Please don't hear me. That, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? I'm talking to Christians this morning. Alright? But you can be plugged into the wrong outlet. You can be plugged into the wrong thing. The crisis I'm talking about is, is, is one of religion versus relationship. Religion is the counterfeit connection of hell. Okay? It's just like the car we talked about. I mean, from the outside, it looks good. 
But when you open up and look at the engine, the engine's different. And religion and relationship are polar opposites. They're not the same thing. Religion is, is like I said, it's the counterfeit connection of hell. But, but relationship is the heart cry of humanity for connection with God. Every one of us are wired for relationship. And there is a, there's a heart cry deep, deep down inside of us. We want to connect with our Creator. Okay? Now, we may be plugged into every other outlet on the planet, but you know what? It won't satisfy. It won't do what it, what it claims it will do. And folks, we have bought a sorry lie from the devil that says religion will meet our needs. It won't. It won't. One of them requires rules and, and rituals and, and false measurements and perfection. You know what? Those only lead to self-righteousness and judgment and frustration and hatefulness and spitefulness. And it makes you a mean Pharisee who ends up poisoning themselves and everybody around them. That's just the way it is. The other one just requires simple surrender. But what happens is in that surrender, it results in ultimate satisfaction. Which leads to, to selflessness. To service and to sacrifice. One leads to frustration. The other one leads to fulfillment. Every believer has a choice. When it comes to the path that they will pursue. In connecting with God. Every one of us has a choice. We can either follow the path of religion. Or the path of passionate relationship. Most of us grew up in religion. We're trained in it. I mean, we've been dipped in it like an Easter egg, okay? We think religiously when it comes to, when it comes to the things of Christ. We don't think relationally. We think religiously. It's deeper ingrained in us than we think, okay? And maybe over the next few weeks, we can see some of that. But most teachers and most preachers talk about relationship. But they teach religion. They teach works. Talk about grace, but teach works. Every believer yearns for relationship, but the majority of us choose religion. Relationship is harder to gauge than religion. There's freedom in relationship. But there's more structure, it seems, in religion. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I like to know how well I'm doing. Every once in a while, I need a pat on the back or a kick in the pants. Okay? I, I need to, I just, just, that's the way I am. And you know what? That lends itself to religion. Because in religion, you can measure. In relationship, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a walk in freedom. And, you, and you're not sure. Religion cannot produce genuine relationship with God. It's impossible. Religion was created by humanity to measure 
his or her pursuit of God. People love religion because it allows us to measure where we're at and what we think God wants. God pursued humanity. We don't pursue God. Scripture tells us that nobody seeks after God. No, not one. God seeks after us. And He sought us so that He could connect with us through relationship. Religion deadens relationship. It's like a shot of Novocaine. But folks, relationship, genuine relationship, destroys religion. Now listen to me. Religion dies a slow, hard death. But once you taste real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, when all of a sudden you're going after His heart instead of what you can get from Him, His hands. And there's nothing wrong with with needing things from God and getting those things. Please don't misunderstand me. But religion pushes you to go after what God can give you rather than the heart of God. Listen, there's not going to be a celebration of religion when we get to heaven. There's going to be a continual celebration of relationship between God and His kids. I want you to hear me when I say this. If it's not in heaven, or it's not going to be in heaven, it should not be a part of our life here on earth. Amen? Think about that for a minute. Okay. If it's not going to be in heaven, we don't need it here. We're not going to take it with us, okay? I don't know if St. Peter stands at the gate. I don't know. But I do know this. There are going to be some big burly angels that shake religion off of you when you go in. You're not going to carry it. You're not going to, you're not going to slip it in like a pocket knife on an airplane, okay? You're just not going to do it. It's not going to happen. We are in a crisis because too many believers have chosen the practice of a lifestyle of religion rather than the pursuit of a relationship. Jesus did not die for religion. Okay? In fact, religion nailed Jesus to the cross. You know why? Religion hates Jesus. You say, well, listen listen to me. Religion hates Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is freedom. Religion is bondage. It's slavery. It becomes a master. And the only master that we're to have is Jesus. And He goes from being master to friend and lover. Jesus didn't die for religion. But religion nailed Him to that cross. But listen to me. Religion didn't keep Him on the cross. Relationship held Him there. Until he had paid for every ounce of our sin. The sad thing is, folks, is we like religion. We really do. We really like it. Okay? We like it because it allows us to measure how well we're doing by comparing ourselves to everyone else around us. And you know what? When I get by myself, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, I look a lot better than I really am. And you do too. None of us are really as good as we think we are. 
None of us are, 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 are acting as well as we think we're acting. The tragic thing is, is that if we choose to, to measure, and that's going to be the life we live, then we ought to use the standard of measurement that God uses. And God doesn't use your neighbor or your spouse. God says here, how do you do in comparison to Jesus? Here's the standard of measurement. If you, if you can be like Jesus, everything's good. The only problem is none of us can be like Jesus. None of us. None of us come close. We all fail. God's standard is Jesus. It's not our spouse. It's not our friends. It's not the person five rows up and to the left in front of you or three rows back and to the right behind you. Yet we like it. We like it. We fear relationship. We fear it because it requires us to be real. Genuine. To come out of the bushes. To be transparent. There's no hiding. There's no posturing. No being who we wished we were, but we're not. It requires coming to grips with who I really am. The real me. And then presenting myself before God without anything except the blood of Jesus. I've got to trust that the blood of Jesus will cover all the warts and all the mistakes and all the failures and all the sin. Now let's just be real honest. That's scary, isn't it? That's why we like religion so well. Religion gives us a false sense of superiority. It makes us feel superior. When we do the right things, we feel pretty good about ourselves. The only problem with is that false sense of security comes, but also there's a fearful sense of inferiority at the same time. There's superiority and inferiority fighting. I feel good about myself, but do I measure up? You see, there's no peace. It makes us feel good around those we go to church with, or that we rub shoulders with at work or at the, at, the, at the store, but it leaves us wondering whether or not God really loves us or not. Whether or not we're really good enough. Have we done enough? Or have we made Him mad? I, I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to that will say, you know what, I, I've made God mad. He's mad at me. He's angry with me. I've messed up. Listen to me this morning. If you don't hear anything else, I say, God is not angry. He's not sitting on His throne with His finger cocked and little lightning boats jumping in and out looking for somebody that He can obliterate. Okay? He's not. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's satisfied. You know why He's satisfied? Because Jesus took His anger and took His wrath He drank it every bit to the last drop. That's what propitiation means. Jesus became the satisfaction for our sin. 
for our mess-ups, for our foul-ups, for everything else. Jesus became that. Folks, God really loves us. But religion, always that gnawing question is there, does He really? How could He love you? You've done this. You went there. You said this. You treated that person this way. How could God love you? Religion makes us dependent on our own works instead of the finished work of Christ. Folks, religion is a smokescreen. It's a daydream. It's a wish I could, but I can't really. Religion is practiced in public. Okay? Relationship is pursued privately. But it's vividly evident in public. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you've met somebody that has a relationship with God. They glow. You know what? When Moses was on the mountain with God for 40 days and he came down, nobody asked, had to ask him where he'd been. Scripture tells us that he glowed with the glory of God. His, his skin had absorbed it. Have you ever been around someone or been to someone's house that had, uh, I'm going to, I, I, Pope, I'm going to say it right, potpourri, or they had, they had uh, perfume or whatever, and when you left their house, you could still smell the perfume or you could smell the potpourri. <laughs> Folks, when you're in the presence of God, when you spend time in relationship, people will know. You won't have to, 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 to practice it in public. It'll just be evident. Religion claims to, to do whatever God requires so that you can approach Him. But relationship simply reflects God's presence. That's what I'm trying to say. Religion was constructed in the heart of Satan. Okay, It's a counterfeit to make us think that we have the real thing. And it's worked out through the, the hands of men and women every day. It's a false sense of faith built on a fa- faulty system of works. Folks, we have preached the promise of grace. We sing about grace. But then we attempt to achieve the blessings of grace by working. By doing. And that's religion. That's not relationship. We're in a crisis. Okay? As a church, we claim to be a place of refuge. A place of restoration and a place of relationship. But you know what? Religion is not safe. It's not safe. It it makes... uh, Unreasonable demands. It persecutes. It nails those who mess up to the cross. It crucifies them. It it destroys those who don't get it right every time. Who make mistakes because they're human. It it can't create a place of refuge. It can only create a, a prison of despair. And deeper hurt. Religion demands perfection. There's no grace or mercy inherent in that system. Therefore, it offers no place for restoration. It decimates, it cripples, it kills. It produces living death that ensures your wounds and your issues never get healed. 
We just learn to cover them up with the makeup of religion. Religion is the mortal enemy of relationship. Religion demands rigid perfection. Where a relationship offers unconditional love. There's a big difference. We can't be perfect. Listen to me. If you could be perfect, Jesus would not have had to die for you. Okay? The Scripture says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. We're all in the same boat. Okay? And it's sinking. Unless Jesus is in it. Okay? And if Jesus is in it, we're going to the other side. That's what he said. Folks, religion is the mortal enemy of relationship. It's a counterfeit facsimile of relationship. It looks like relationship. It looks just like that 1935 Auburn in that barn looked like the real deal. It looked like $80,000. But it was only worth $30,000. Because it didn't have the right kind of engine in it. It demands, religion demands that you do and do and do and do some more and more and more. It's always more. Here's the reality about religion. Religion is about you. It's about me. In religion, the worship of God is diverted and it becomes the worship of me or the worship of you because it all, becomes all about me. Am I doing enough? Am I where I need to be? Am I, have, I, have I read enough? Have I heard enough? Have I been enough? See, it's me, I, instead of God. We become our own gods when we're trapped in religion. And the reason is because the true God, the real God, He doesn't come anywhere close to religion. Relationship is the opportunity to enjoy and to flourish and to explore the love and the validation of God given freely through Jesus Christ. Relationship is personal. It's an intimate connection with God. Religion is our attempt to pay for our sins, which cannot be paid. Some of you have heard me say this before. There will be many, many people in hell for an eternity. They will be there to pay for their sins. How long will they be there? Eternity. How long is eternity? Forever and ever and ever. Is there an end to eternity? Therefore, if you're somewhere to pay for something and you have to stay forever, it's obvious you can't pay for it. Okay? Folks, we can't pay for our sins. But religion tells you you can. If you just be good enough. Just work harder if you just do more. Relationship is the result of Christ's payment for our sins. Which is complete. It's finished. Folks, religion is a system. Relationship is a savior. Now, some of you right now are a little uncomfortable 
that I've not read a scripture yet. And I'm to the end of my sermon. That's not relationship. That's religion. Okay. I have one. I have a passage that I'm going to read right here. And it's an invitation. Okay. It's an invitation to unplug from religion and plug into relationship. Jesus came to a people whom God had revealed Himself to fully. I mean, He had shown them who He was, what He expected, what He wanted, how much He loved them, what He would do for them. He had shown them His miracles. He had shown them His grace over and over and over. He had given them some, some, some guidelines to guide them so that they could, wouldn't destroy themselves and they wouldn't destroy everyone else. And they took all of that and they packed it into a nice little religious system. And so when Jesus comes, He comes to a people who were expecting Him but didn't recognize Him. Because he didn't look like their religious system said he would. The reality was that he looked exactly what Scripture said he would look like. He did exactly what Scripture said he would do. Their system was flawed, as every religious system is. And Jesus comes, and he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and I'm going to Read all the way through verse 30. Jesus said this. He said, come to me. He didn't say come to the system. He didn't say come to church. He didn't say come to the pastor. He didn't say come to the person who knows everything about uh, spiritual things. He said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. He doesn't say come to me and I'll give you something else to do. You're not doing enough. If you'll just do more. He didn't say that. He said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle And humble in heart. Listen to me. Most of the sermons I heard growing up. And through early adulthood. Was of an angry God. Okay. He's mad. And he's mad at me. That's not what Jesus said. He said. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And then listen to what he says. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my load is light. Folks, that's a different kind of Jesus than I grew up hearing about. When Jesus hung on the cross, one of the last statements... He said, was one word, to telestai. 
And you've heard it over and over and over. It means paid in full. Folks, he didn't just chirp the words out so it would sound good. He meant what he said. Every word he spoke from the cross was the fulfillment of prophecy. He didn't waste any words. Number one, he didn't need to. Number two, physically, he couldn't. Okay? It was almost impossible for someone to speak who had been crucified after a few hours. So everything he said meant something. And when he said to Telestai, he meant your debt and my debt is paid. Not in part, but in full. It is finished. Paid in full. He meant that. That means past. That means present. And that means whatever happens in the future, Jesus has paid the debt for that sin. And folks, either He has or He hasn't. That's the choice. Religion says, yeah, we know what He said, but here's what it really means. Relationship says, I've paid it. I offer it to you. It's yours. Folks, religion runs from Jesus. But a relationship invites us to come as we are. And it invites us to connect with Jesus. And the reality of it is, the choice is ours. Okay? The choice was ours. Your decision determines whether the crisis that we're in endures or it ends. It's all about your choice of connection. Will I plug into religion or will I plug into relationship? Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.